This is Creating Windows, Not Bars, a monthly show on Justice Radio on WMPG with your hosts, Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Today, we are talking with Danielle Ward and Kayla Kalel about the challenges of maintaining relationships with children, family, and friends while incarcerated, and the reunification process for justice-impacted people after they return to their home communities. You know, Danielle, um, I'm calling to mind something that you said earlier, um, and you talked about watching your kids grow up in pictures, which is sad, but a beautiful way to, um, to put language around what, what that's really like. So I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit um, how you broke the news to your children um, that, that you were going to go to prison. I mean, how do, how do we talk as parents to our kids? Oh, uh, Linda, I don't really want to cry because I put my makeup on this morning. So <laughs> oh, sorry for um, this difficult question, Daniel. Yeah. Um, no. Um, okay. So what happened with me is I, I had been on bail for a couple of years. So we kind of knew that I was going away. Um, I kind of had time to like really, you know, speak with the kids though Mason my youngest Mason was very young that he he had no idea what it meant um I remember I'll never forget being in uh, counseling with him one day and the counselor like we were family counseling and he says so Mason do you know where your mom's going and he uh, what's going on with your mom he's like yeah she's going to prison like nothing because he had no idea what prison consisted of or how long mom was going to be gone for um, so that, you know, um, and the girls were, I mean, they were a little older than I, you know, I missed out on so many moments, like those milestones that I'll never be able to get back. But, but I know that like, even though like, it's going to be like really hard to get through this part, <laughs> um, milestones, but I got those two pictures. Like I had such a great support system on the outside that those pictures like I got to be there with them through those pictures and phone calls um but who knows like if I was out I I could have been there physically with those milestones but because I was in active addiction I might have not been there mentally so this is kind of like a way so like when I I am now like I can enjoy those you know those milestones that they're going to make and I'm be such a better place physically and mentally that it's going to be rewarding for me and for them. And I'm just going to stop there because like my makeup's really becoming really wrong. Danielle, we I'm are just, so deeply grateful. Um, even though I'm not a mother, like I can empathize so much, you know, because obviously Danielle, you and I got very close while we were in and was yeah. almost like I lived vicariously through you. And um I couldn't imagine what it was like going through that for you, which is why I tried to do everything I could just to be supportive. But it, it like jerks at my heartstrings every time you talk about it, just cause um, I couldn't imagine that's, and you have an amazing relationship with your children. Right. And I there do. are so many of us who are incarcerated that don't have that anymore. We've lost that you know, uh, because of addiction and because of our incarceration. So um, 
I'm just throwing this out there that you are one of the lucky ones, right? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I do. I feel truly blessed to have kept that those relationships with my children because yeah, that's beautiful, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing such a sensitive um, and difficult subject. You are listening to Creating Windows, Not Bars, Justice Radio with Mackenzie Kelly and Linda Small. Today, we are talking with Danielle Ward and Kayla Kalel about the challenges formerly incarcerated women face when reuniting relationships after returning home from prison. What do relationships look like before incarceration? How do they change while inside? And what happens upon release? Kayla, um, can you share a little bit what, what it was like to have visits with your family while you were incarcerated? Sure. Um, so while I was, while I was in the pods, um, which is like, you know, locked down pretty much all day, except for like an hour or two, um, in like the, in like the prisony prison, <laughs> the side of the prison, that's like very, very like kind of scary and, um, overwhelming to somebody that, you know, hasn't experienced it before. So I didn't even like really allow, allow my family to visit me there just because I didn't want to scare them. And I didn't want, I didn't want them to like feel pain or hurt or worry, um, you know, for me, but even, um, actually, you know what, I didn't even have visits with family until I got to pre-release, but, um, I remember one specific visit at, near the end of my sentence, um, where I actually met my niece for the first time because, this is so crazy. She was born the same day that I got sentenced to three years in prison. Um, so I, like, you know, I, in talking to my mom about that, she was like, you know, it was like the most amazing slash worst day of my life. Like, you know, her, talking about her, you know, going to the courthouse to watch me be sentenced and then driving to the hospital to watch her granddaughter be born, you know? So like, um, it was, pretty crazy to like, you know, when we're locked up, we, we miss out on, on deaths. We miss out on births, like moments we can never get back, you know? Um, so yeah, visits are, were pretty intense because, and I remember like so many times feeling like, you know, you have the visit and it's just like, a, like an hour of just like completely for the first time in a while feeling like, at home again right but then once they leave it's like back to that dread and that pain and it's almost like oh my gosh why did I do this to myself like it's almost better to just not even like you know because you have to go through that you know cycle of grief again where it's just like oh my gosh like how long is it going to be until I see them again like how long is it going to be until I can give give my mom a hug or whatever you know I'm sure you probably had those conversations with your family, but do you have any idea how they felt leaving you? Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing that like my mom told me, um, which like this story is really profound because my father is somebody that like is very like quiet and, you know, he's kind of like mysterious and doesn't share his emotions, but, um, or you know, not, for, not very frequently anyways. But my mom shared with me that one time, like she came home from work and he was outside, like in the pouring rain. 
and just like sitting there and she was just like what are you doing like and um you know when I was a kid I used to sit in the rain because I loved it and he literally told my mom like I feel like I'm close to Kilo when I'm in the rain and like I just miss her so much you know and like yeah thank thank you so much um Kayla um one of the things that you said that really struck home for me was um, you're, that we're being stuck in a cycle of grief. And I think that is sort of the foundation of being in, incarcerated um, and also the foundation for those family members <clears throat> who are incarcerated with you at the same time, right? Who are doing their own time on the outside. So, um, Danielle, I want to create space to see if you want to talk a little bit about the visit situation with your family. Um, it was really hard to see my family um, when I first went in. It took a little bit, like, I mean, I, and then when I did, um, COVID hit. So I, I literally got to see my kids two times COVID hit. And then I did not see them until for, for what, probably a year and a half later. Um, granted we had zoom visits. So I was very, very grateful for that, which those were to me amazing as well, because not only did I get to see them, but I got to see where they were at, like in their rooms, they could show me things really got to explore where they were at, what they were doing, get to see their art projects or just, just those little things. Um, so those were amazing. I was so grateful for those visits. Um, and then when I, you know, we, the COVID lifted and I got to see them, um, we're a little bit of a drive away. So I didn't expect my family to come up every weekend with the kids. Um, and it was hard too, because then you got the whole thing. If you weren't vaccinated, then you couldn't come visit. And my oldest one didn't want to get vaccinated. And I wasn't going to pressure her into doing that. So I didn't get to see her um, until that, that lifted. But um, and it was hard. The first visit, I think, was the hardest for, for the kids. Um, because they were just like, when am I going to see you again? Um, but then after that, they, they realized like how long we got, what they could do, what we could go outside. Oh, this isn't really like a prison, you know, cause I was at the reentry. So it was a little easier, easier on them playing ball and stuff like that outside. Yeah. Overall, I didn't have a ton of in-person visits due to COVID, but what I did get, um, through zoom and with them is obviously greatly appreciated every way that my mom, you know, our family member brought them up, like, I didn't take that for granted at all. Yeah, I I remember having a visit um, with one of my girlfriends and watching you through the window. You were playing football with your son, and you came yeah. in with grass stains on you and all of that. Yeah. And I thought, how how wonderful is that to give a little um, taste of normalcy for both of you, and mm -hmm. how important those moments are, right? Absolutely. Um, I have a question for both of you. It's about co-parenting. Um, obviously you had to co-parent Danielle while you were incarcerated. And Kayla, your, um, your child's father has to co-parent from prison. I wonder if you might give us each a little bit of a perspective on that. Um, so in my situation there, like 
because of the, his charges um, being violent um, against me, he wasn't even allowed to have contact with her. Um, and it's only been in the last like, geez, like three weeks, I think that he's been allowed to. Um, so I'm still, we're still trying, I'm still trying to figure it out really. But um, basically just navigating, like for me, it's, it's, you know, I, my number one priority is keeping my daughter safe. So obviously I would never like leave her alone with him. And, you know, I'm always kind of very hyper vigilant to, you know, checking out the situation, making sure he's in a good frame of mind and, and making sure she's safe. Um, but then also like remembering that, like, I, it, this isn't like my situation to control. Um, and it's, it's not my relationship with him. It's hers. Um, so just recognizing that, like at the end of the day, you know, he is her father. So, you know, we have to kind of figure it out, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely been hard. Thank you, Kayla. When it comes to co-parenting, I, I did not only have to co-parent with my husband, but with my mother um, and my cousin, because um, when I went away, uh, my husband, you know, had to go away as well for for different, um, a different circumstance situation that he was involved in um, because he couldn't get his shit together. But besides that, <laughs> um, uh, so he, um, we actually gave my, my mother uh, and my cousin parental guardianship. Um, relation, uh, when, when it comes to like relationship with my family, I've always had a really strong relationship um, with them with my mother very very close my cousin um my oldest daughter chose to um she, she we really talked about this on the phone she's like mom i love my nanny i love my brother and sister but i i can i please go live with our cousin lexi she was very very close to lexi um she just needed her space my mom's was kind of small it's a lot you know for my daughter was a teenager um and so um, she really laid out the pros and cons for me at her age. And like, I was like, huge, like, yeah, like mom, this is this and this, but this, I was like, wow, Skyla, you know, you really put a lot into that and you really made me open my eyes to like, what, what is best for you? So um, I allowed her to do that. My cousin really had her, you know, her life together, graduated college, had a full-time job, bought a house, had a car, traveled. She was very into school. She was a very great role model for my oldest. So it's okay. So I had to co-parent with her um, and I had to co-parent with my mother and, and my husband. So my husband, like, like I said, he made a lot of mistakes. He um, relapsed a lot. So he was like allowed to be in and out of their lives. Um, one, because my mom would, would stand around, like, you're not doing well. You're not doing, you're, you're not taking Mason. You're not coming here. Like, we just want you to get better. I don't want to take my the grandkids from you, but you got to get, you got to get better. Um, the girls were older, so they distanced themselves, you know, from him, which was huge, you know, and sad. It's sad, but it was like, you know, they, it was good for them to, you know, make that choice. But with him, I didn't, I didn't agree on some of the things that he was doing. He took Mason a lot and, just where Mason was at and the way he talked to Mason or he was parenting Mason, I wasn't okay with. And maybe it would have been different. Maybe if I was in his place and I was using, or I wasn't, you know, just the whole mental thing, like different, but with me looking at a whole new perspective on life and parenting and just everything, 
I had different opinions. So we kind of had some words on that sometimes, but, um, but everything's, everything's good now. Like I said, the kids are older and, and my mom and, and my cousin have done an amazing job, amazing job co-parenting with me, um, with the kids. And with the husband, we're working on it. It's a, it's a day by day basis. So it's always a work in progress, right? Always a work in progress. Yeah. Some days better than others. <laughs> so I know we've talked a little bit about, well, a lot about this, if you will, um, what relationships look like before our incarceration, during our incarceration and after, right? And I kind of actually wanted to respond on that a little bit and I'll pass it off to you after, but I know previous to that, before my incarceration, my relationships were so toxic based on drugs and lies and everything very manipulative, you know, and those sorts of things. And because I was selling drugs, right, I had all the power in the relationship. And I think I thrived off that, uh, if you will. That's that's really the only way that I can explain that, but just very unhealthy. And that's how I knew my relationships to be on the outside, you know. And then my parents, you know, barely coming around because I was just so messed up. And... um when I got into prison, it started to repair itself, if you will. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still needed to put in that work myself, but okay. First off, now you, now you're sober and I'm now learning how to navigate my life sober and what the relationships look like from there, because I was trying to figure out who I was. And if I don't know who I am, what kind of relationship can I have with somebody else who doesn't know who I am, you know? Um, so there was that learning curve, if you will, about, you know, the, the relationships that I had with them. And then once I got out, I was still kind of trying to learn who I was uh, on the outside, because who you can be on the inside, it's almost different when you're released. And um, I knew what I wanted, but it was hard for me not to get back into that cycle of toxic relationships, if you will. You know, and I'm still trying to navigate that, you know, myself. So I'm just wondering how that look has looked like for um, Kayla. Kayla, how has that looked like for you? The difference between, you know, before, during, and after, has that changed? Or is there um, any- Yeah, like, so I relate to what you share, like, like hardcore, <laughs> hardcore for sure. So I, with regard to like romantic relationships, um, I, I had very toxic relationships prior to prison and really didn't even know how toxic um, my relationships were until like, until I went to prison and like, you know, started to work a program of recovery. Um, and then when I was released, I, um, yeah, it was just, it was really like, my eyes were open. I was like, wow, like I'm sick, you know? Um, and I realized that like, 
it, it wasn't just substances that were making me sick, right? It was codependency. Um, and so, like you said, I mean, it, I'm a work in progress. Like I, um, you know, I, I'm still learning every day. And I, and I think that like, just like acknowledging that, you know, like always remaining teachable, you know, I, I can just always bring it back to like acknowledging that I don't want to go back to those old behaviors and like jumping into, you know, relationships based in codependency. So I'm kind of always like, kind of like having to stop myself and be like, you know, maybe that, maybe that does seem like fun, but you know, what's it going to look like long-term? Like, is this a good idea? Is this healthy? You know? But this is such an interesting um, conversation about self-discovery and what that means in intimate relationships, right? And how that, how that changes things. And we heard a little bit from Danielle and um, trying to maintain those relationships, right? Through that whole process and through her marriage. But can um, Mackenzie and Kayla, do you want to share anything about dating post-release? Because now you're developing brand new relationships, right? Well, what makes you think that I'm not on a dating site? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. How's your Tinder account, Danielle? <laughs> Deactivated at the moment. Things are going well in the marriage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, for oh my me, God, what a riot. <laughs> for me, it was really hard. I wonder if there is anything else um, that any of you would like to add that we haven't covered yet or you want to expand on that might help the community understand um, the particular struggles of, of women as they're incarcerated or they move through reentry. Um, what advice would you give to the community in, in helping women and children out? I think it's important for the, the individual that had been incarcerated to continue to take to use self-care needs for themselves on the outside because that's huge because that's like a big factor that's going to help with your relationships because if you're mentally stable because you're taking care of yourself first that's going to be like healthy for your relationships right like if you're not if you're not doing that you're going to go back to that old that old place like Mackenzie had said like you know those those old character defects of yours for an example like me I didn't have a lot of patience or just the way I responded to something and I know that recently um, I was having a very uh, an argument with my husband and I was not happy with 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 his choice of words or mine. And I got to a place where I actually, that I literally told him I had to get out of the vehicle and I had to walk away because that conversation and him himself was making me um, become somebody I didn't want to be, um, that I had moved forward from and I wasn't going backwards. So once again, like those boundaries. And I think like being incarcerated, like that that is a time to do that and you, you should just continue to do that when you're on the outside um when it comes to the community i guess it all depends on like who you surround yourself with in the community as well depending on the people that you're surrounded with and kind of letting them know their story or like what what you need to you know to move forward in the community is going to be helpful beneficial for you and and for them as well yeah danielle that is such a powerful story about um, recognizing that you're heading down the wrong path and choosing differently. 
That's really an incredible story. And also, I think as women in particular, we're not used to asking for help, right? Mm -hmm. We're the nurturers. We're the ones who offer help. And I think that's a, a different mindset that is so vital um, to our recovery from trauma, wherever that trauma comes from. So Kayla, did you have something that you wanted to add? I'm in agreement with Danielle. I really like what you said, Danielle, about like being transparent and just like stating your needs um, because we don't, we're not used to asking for help, right? And I think like the tendency, um, the tendency for, for me in particular to just like try to act like everything's fine and, and do everything myself and like hold it all together and whatever and paint this picture um, is rooted in like my addiction in my past, right? So, so being like learning to be gentle with myself and learning to like stay how I'm really feeling and be candid and ask for help. And, you know, all of that is like so important, um, especially as a mom, because we can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like I might be able to for a short period of time, but it's not going to last, you know, I'm going to fall flat on my face if I'm not taking care of myself. Yep back off that whole like being in an area where there's a lot of people and it's very overwhelming at first the first day I got home and my kids were like let's go to TJ Maxx let's go to Applebee's let's go to Walmart I was like okay I walked in like I just I this is a lot like there's a lot just the menu alone at Applebee's like I was like you know she's like just get chicken I'm like I've had chicken for four years I'm not getting chicken I'm like no, I'm not doing that like you don't even understand she's like mom just pick something like I okay, but I'm not doing the chicken, you know, <laughs> just like the stores, but at the first day, I feel like they were a little like, oh my gosh, mom, like, you know, because they weren't used to it, but then they like, was like, they can actually, they could kind of see like the, you know, how anxious I was, and I was like, I just, this is a lot, it's a lot for me, and now they're more, they were more understanding, so they weren't like, let's go to big places, like, they weren't like that, it was more like, hey, let's go for a walk, or let's go, you know, where there wasn't a lot of people, yeah, yeah, I just I, thing about that, like that feeling um, for me, it was just like really empowering. And it's so crazy because I spent so much time like living in fear. And like, that was kind of what drove me to, to feel like that. But like being able to like speak very transparently of how I was feeling or what my needs were like and set boundaries, like, you know, I don't know, the, the feelings were so oppositional. It was like, you know, it was feeding into my self-esteem issues and all that. But then like, once I got comfortable setting boundaries, it was like, whoa, this feels good. Like there she is. Yeah, thank you both for sharing that. I really appreciate you both for being here um, and sharing your experiences with reuniting with your families and what that uh, process looked for looked like for you before, during and after. Um, so thank you. And um, in, in coming shows, we'll explore public safety, the unique stigma justice impacted women's face, and the experiences and struggles of returning citizens to create meaningful and productive lives. Next week, please join Representative Charlotte Warren and Zoe Bocas on Justice Radio to learn what can be done to redefine and reimagine equity, restoration, and justice through legislative action. Make sure you visit the Justice Radio Show page on WMPG.org for archived episodes aired on WMPG and WERU. And a big thank you to Samuel James for 
his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series. 